Let's bow our heads together in prayer before we open the Word together. Our precious Heavenly Father, we come before You together today. We've been lifting our voices in song and worship of You and Your goodness and Your grace and Your mercy in sending Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Father, we come before Your Word today, and just as we've sung, we don't live by bread alone. We need the bread of Your Word. We need the the wonderful, wonderful Word to work in our hearts and work in our minds and strengthen and encourage and inform and, and even convict. And so, Lord, as we gather together to open Your Word together, I pray that You would help us to humble ourselves before Your Word humble ourselves under these mighty truths and under the mighty hand of God. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its goodness in, in teaching us and instructing us and, and even in convicting us when we need to be convicted of our sins so that we might repent and, and turn once again to You to humble ourselves before You. And so, Lord, as we gather together to open the Word, use the Word in our hearts as the two-edged sword that it is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been a few years now since my my grandfather, my grandfather Shipley, my mom's dad, passed away and went to be with his heavenly father. But uh, shortly before his passing, my, my brother wrote this about him. My brother Ken wrote, My grandpa Shipley was a man of few words, but they were usually well-chosen ones. When you left his house, the family would form a circle and hold hands, and grandpa would pray in a few well-chosen words. Then the last thing, before you went down the steps and through the breezeway, he would often repeat his little life motto. Remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. His motto had a double meaning. He always wanted you to remember that you belong to the Lord and that you belong to Him too. I think it also served as a gentle reminder to live up to your name and maintain a good testimony for Christ. He had the initials RWYA printed on pencils and cards as a testimony to his family, friends, and customers. In the last few months of Grandpa's life, in my grandmother's life, she would often say, Grandpa just isn't Grandpa. He would forget so much. He struggled to put a complete sentence together. Sometimes he forgot the name of a loved one. The confusion that clouded his mind frustrated him. A few days ago, he even failed to recognize his own favorite song, Overshadowed, which had always moved him to tears before. On a recent visit, his daughter, Sue, asked him, Daddy, do you remember whose you are? He remembered, and he answered immediately, I'm the Lord's. When you think about it, it really doesn't matter what you forget as long as you remember whose you are. I have a question for you this morning. Do you know whose you are? Do you know whose child you are? Are you a child of God? Let's turn together to 1 John this morning in 1 John chapter 3. 
First John chapter three. I want to take you to a, a paragraph in First John chapter three that that asks that question in a way. Whose child are you? We're just going to introduce this passage this morning, and then we're going to come back to it in a couple of weeks, Lord willing. But I want to look at this passage this morning, and I want you to think with me: Whose child am I? Whose child am I? Look at the passage with me, First John chapter three. And follow along as I read from God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 4, reading through verse 10. 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now, folks, the the passage before us here reveals two groups of people. Did you see them? There are two groups of people revealed here. In fact, these two groups of people make up all the people on earth. Look at verse 10 again where it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. I want to tell you this morning that whether you are a child of God or whether you are a child of the devil, You have a common problem. You have a common problem, and that problem is sin. And sin separates us from God. And sin, as believers, sin separates us from God in breaking our fellowship with Him. As as an unbeliever, sin separates you from God in in that you will not experience the eternal love of God in heaven one day if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so sin is a serious problem. And sin is a common problem for children of God and children of the devil. Our passage today begins by defining for us what sin is. Go back to verse 4 with me for a moment. Look at verse 4 again, where it says, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so John defines sin for us. Sin at its very root is lawlessness, which means sin is rebellion against God. Sin is a rebellion against God's righteous and just laws. So sin is lawlessness. You know, when you stop and think about sin, sin is is living or acting in a way that ignores or is against God's commands. Sin is living or acting in a way that is that is ignoring or acting against God's commands and God's law. And that is not a good thing. That is not a healthy thing. 
But I want you to also know this this morning, that, that for those who hope in God, we've talked much in the previous weeks about hoping in God and hoping in our place, our eternal place with God in heaven. And the fact that we hope in God because we know that one day we're going to see Him and we will be like Him, which means we'll be sinless. If you're a follower of Christ, there's going to be a day when you're going to be sinless because you'll see Christ and then you'll be like Him. And you'll have that heavenly body. And for those who hope in God, for those who abide in Christ, there is this hope for dealing with sin. We have hope for dealing with sin and dealing with lawlessness. Look at verse 5 again. Where John writes, you know that He appeared to take away sins. And in Him, that is in Christ, in Him there is no sin. He is Christ. And we know that Christ came to take away sin and sin's consequences, right? Jesus Christ came to earth, born as a babe, lived as a man, but lived a sinless life, and then was cruelly sacrificed for our sins. He was cruelly beaten and shed blood for our sins. God the Father allowed Him to be sacrificed for your sin and mine. And Christ came to take away the sin and and take away the consequences of sin. Were it not for Jesus Christ, we would all be punished for our sin. If we do not confess our sin and confess a faith in Jesus Christ, we do face a certain and just punishment because of that sin. But there's this hope as believers that we have because of Jesus Christ, isn't there? We learned back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, that those who walk in the light, right? Those who walk in the light, that is those who confess their sins, as we see in 1 John 1, 9. Those who walk in the light and believe in Jesus as Savior have fellowship with one another. And not only that, the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And so there's this wonderful hope. When you, when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, you confess that you are a sinner and you trust in Jesus Christ for your, for your salvation. Not only do you have fellowship with other believers, but you have fellowship with God because of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses you from all your sin. Colossians chapter 1, verse 14 says it this way, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have redemption. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven our sins because of Jesus Christ. Now, as I noted a few moments ago, we we all must deal with this problem of sin. There is this hope for the sinner, though, who, who puts their trust in Jesus Christ. There is this hope for the sinner who puts their faith in Christ because Jesus Christ became the sacrifice for our sins. As the passage says, He appeared to take away our sins. You stop and think about that. How is it? How is it that if He appeared to take away sin, if He paid the price, the penalty for sin, and He appeared to take away sin, how is it that we still sin? You do see that, don't we? We see it when we go to the Scriptures. We look at 1 John and we look at passages in 1 John that seem to contradict one another at times. As a matter of fact, there are these two views of the believer that we see in 1 John that seem to conflict. 
Jesus Christ appeared to take away the sins of those who confess their sin and turn to Him in faith, but yet we still struggle with sin. As a matter of fact, there are these two views of the believer seen in 1 John that seem to conflict. There's this first view in 1 John of the believer that, and if you read some passages, you think, wait, it, it, it looks like Christians aren't supposed to sin. They don't sin. And no, we're not supposed to sin. But sometimes you get this idea that Christians don't sin. We see in passages like 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3 that says, and by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And we might think, well, those who belong to Christ no longer sin. We see something similar in our passage this morning in verse 6 where John writes, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. And then in verse 9, Look at it again where it says in verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And then later in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 18, it says this, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. And so you read those passages and you stop and you say, Wait a minute, I, I think I'm getting that, that Christians don't sin. And so it seemed from reading these passages that believers are no longer sinners. Is that right? That's one view that we get of believers in 1 John. But there's another view. There's also this view of the Christian in 1 John that does still sin. And we've seen that too, haven't we? We see it in passages like 1 John chapter 1. Go back and look at that with me for a moment. 1 John chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10. 1 John chapter 1 verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. And then there's a passage like 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then in chapter 3, verse 2, we saw it not too long ago. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, indicating that we're still struggling with sin, right? We will be like Christ one day, but that day has not yet appeared, has it? And there's a passage like like we see in 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17. An interesting passage that makes it clear that there is sin that does not lead to death. When John writes, look at verses 16 and 17 in 1 John chapter 5. Go back a couple of chapters from where we're at here. 1 John chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, where John writes, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And then verse 17, all wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now I bring that to your attention because there is this belief that only those who do not sin escape judgment. There are those who, who would believe that. That there only those who do not sin escape God's just and righteous judgment. 
Some would say that those who sin lose their salvation. And they must once again come and confess their sin and be saved once again. But John challenges that thought. John challenges that belief. John deals with that when he says here in 1 John chapter 5 verse 17 that there is, that there is sin that does not lead to death. Now stop and think about that for a moment. How, how can that be? How is it that sinners, there are sinners who are believers, right? And, and we, if you've been a believer for any length of time, you know you're still a sinner, right? There are believers who deal with sin, and yet that sin does not separate you from God. It breaks fellowship with God, but it doesn't take your eternal life from you. How can that be? How can there be these two views of the believer here in 1 John? And, and how is it that they can coexist? How is it that we, we can see passages that say, if you know Him, you won't sin, right? And how is it that we can see passages that tell us that, that if you do sin, we have an advocate, right? In Jesus Christ. Well, I think we're helped here by what verse 8 says. Go back to 1 John chapter 3 and look at verse 8 again. First John chapter 3, verse 8 says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Now that's the English Standard Version. Some of you have different versions of the uh, different translations. They might say, Whoever sins is of the devil. Some say, Whoever, whoever commits sin is of the devil. And this is what John is talking about here in 1 John when we see passages that would lead us to think that Christians don't sin. When you see a passage and you stop and think, well, does that mean that Christians don't sin? You need to keep this in mind. And I think the English Standard Version here translates this appropriately when it says that those who make a practice of sinning are of the devil. I want to just slow down here for a moment and think about this. That's really what he's saying back in 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. When he wrote, when John writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. Think about that phrase, keep on sinning. It's making a practice of sinning. What we're talking about here is a, is a continual, habitual practice of sinning. John is not suggesting that believers do not sin. John is not suggesting, I'll say it again, that believers do not sin. And he is not suggesting that if you sin, you are not a Christian. Because we see it back later in 1 John chapter 5, right? Because there is sin that does not lead to death. But the point he makes is that one who is a follower of Christ does not continually, does not habitually, does not willfully, unrepentantly, continually, Make a practice of sinning. It's clear here in 1 John that, that we will sin. 1 John, again and again, reminds us, don't sin. John says, I'm writing so that you won't sin. But if you do sin, it's clear in 1 John that, that we will sin. But the teaching that we see in God's Word is a reminder to us that, that one who is a follower of Christ one who has confessed their sin and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, one who is a follower of Christ will not settle into a lifestyle that is characterized by sin. 
will not settle into a lifestyle that is one of unrepentant, continual sin. And that is why John says in verse 9, go back and look with me at 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 again. Verse 9, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Yes, you need to know that your sins can be forgiven. But one who settles into a pattern of sin, and and hear me very carefully here, one who settles into a pattern of sin, one who does not experience guilt for their sin, one who does not repent and seek to turn from that sin, has very good reason to doubt that they were ever a child of God to begin with. A lifestyle characterized by continual and unrepentant sin cannot be maintained by a true child of God. God's Word tells us so. Because in verse 9, For God's seed abides in Him, and He cannot keep on sinning because He has been born of God. The implication is one who can keep on sinning, one who does not confess their sin, one who does not experience guilt for their sin, is not a true child of God. The fact remains that believers do sin. We will not shed sin until we see Christ. We've talked about that already. We go back a few verses into verses 1-3 through here in 1 John chapter 3, and we think about the fact that we aren't what we will be one day. We will be like Christ because we will see Him as He is. And we will be like Him, which means we will be sinless. And we will have heavenly bodies instead of earthly bodies. But the fact remains that believers do still sin. And as long as we are on earth, we're going to have to deal with sin as followers of Christ. Believers must repent of sin and seek to live for Christ in obedience to God's Word. And because the believer in Jesus has put on the new man, right? We are new creations. We're new creatures in Christ. There is, as Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. The believer may sin, but that believer remains secure in Christ. There is no condemnation for the one who is in Christ Jesus. And that believer, secure in Christ, cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. There is hope isn't there? There is hope for the one who has truly repented of their sin before God and trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. There is hope. Because Jesus came to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin. The obvious question that we ought to ask ourselves is, whose child am I? Whose child am I? And some might say, but wait a minute, I'm here, aren't I? Doesn't that mean I'm a child of God? I would say be careful about that. Some would say, wait a minute, I've been going to church all my life. And I'd say, whoa, Nellie, be careful because that's not how God defines salvation. Some would say, I prayed a prayer once. Somebody said, repeat after me, and I repeated after them. That means I'm saved, right? Somebody might say, I walked an aisle once. I, I responded to the invitation of a preacher, and he said, come, and I, and I came, and, and I, I'm saved, right? 
You know, I, I say it's a very good thing for us as a church when we come to a passage such as this to allow it to challenge our hearts, to challenge us to examine our hearts before God. It is not, it is not a bad thing for us to look at our lives and say, am I a true child of God? To look at ourselves and let this passage challenge us today and say, whose child am I anyway? How dangerous for you and I to depend solely on an experience for our salvation. How dangerous for us to be able to say, to to look back to a time. Well, I remember a time when I went to an activity and I went forward because there was an invitation and everybody else was going and I must be saved, right? How dangerous to hang our salvation on a point in time. Because those acts do not assure our salvation, do they? God's Word challenges that kind of thinking. God's Word challenges you to test yourself. Right? Those of you who know the New Testament know 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, reminds us that we ought to examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. Test yourselves, it says. Test yourselves. Lest you find out you're not in the faith lest you find out you really haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whose child am I? Whose child am I? Am I a child of God? And does the evidence of my life tell me that I am a child of God? Because you see, the evidence of our lives ought to point in one direction or the other. And people today, it's not too late to examine yourselves as long as you're breathing air, right? As long as you're here breathing, you have an opportunity to examine your heart today and say, does the evidence in my life point to being a child of God? Or does the evidence in my life point to being a child of the devil? Does the evidence of my life indicate that I have surrendered my life to the Lord? Have I confessed my sin, sincerely repented of my sin, and trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation? And if I committed myself to living for Jesus Christ, for God's glory? You see, those are the questions that are healthy questions. Those are good questions for a believer to ask. I'm not saying that you ought to go around doubting your salvation, but there ought to be evidence in your life and in my life that points in one direction or the other. Because there are two groups of people in this world, aren't there? And 1 John chapter 3, these verses 4-10 through really challenge us in this area. And so I bring them to you this morning just as an introductory, introductory study to this passage. We're going to come back to it in weeks ahead. But examine your heart. Examine your life. Examine the, the, the outflow of your life. What does the evidence say? Whose child are you? And if you're a child of God, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Live for Jesus Christ. Glorify Him with the way that you live. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. I thank you for your word. Your word is so complete and so just and so necessary for us. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you, that we wouldn't come to a passage like this thinking, how dare anyone question whether or not I'm a believer or not. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in us to challenge us, to examine our hearts, to test ourselves as to whether or not we're in the faith. And Lord, if the evidence is weak, let it be a reminder to us that we need to live for you daily, that our lives must glorify you because you're at work in us. And Lord, if the evidence points to the fact that we're not a child of God, help help us to realize that we need to confess our sin, confess that, that we are sinners, and believe in Jesus Christ for salvation today, and then commit ourselves to living for God's glory under our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and His Word. Father, You know our hearts today. May we humble ourselves before You. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.